Welcome to Watch Party Wheel of Time. I'm your host, Ruark, joined once again by the panel of newbies. Say hello, panel. Hello, panel. Joining us today, we have Axel. Hello, everybody. David. Fire quantum torpedoes. And Siobhan. Hey, everybody. Uh, hey, everybody, indeed. How are y'all doing? It's been a week. Good. <laughs> <laughs> doing all right. Having yeah. a day. <laughs> <laughs> The snow came. Yes, yes. Where where David and I are, there is plenty of snow happening, and I'm not, I'm not thrilled about it. Honestly, my knees are mostly not thrilled about it. Oh, that's very relatable. We had a little bit of snow a couple of days ago, but now it's gone away again, and it's back to being gray and damp, and just a little bit above freezing. Sounds sounds like Canada, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Tor Toronto, anyway. There's this. Um kind of a, a snow belt where if you get to a certain part north uh the snow you get insane levels of snow like to the point where houses have doors on the second floor to use in the winter <laughs> 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 we are by the lake so we don't we we don't get that uh so anyway uh shows about wheel of time let's uh let's get right into talking about wheel of time and we're going to start into our Character deep dives. Uh, after the first season, we did some character deep dives, and they were really, really interesting to hear your takes on these characters and, and how much of the, the characters you can see, because I know that's one thing that a, a, a lot of the book readers have noticed about the show and the new watchers is they're seeing the complete character that we know from the books, whether or not we're seeing that on screen. It, I, I always love hearing what you all have to say about the characters. I'm not sure if I said all of that very coherently, but fuck it, we're going to go with it. <laughs> uh, so I think uh, we decided beforehand we we're going to start off with our bad guys. And we have lots of bad guys. <laughs> yes, we have lots of bad guys. And I think we're going to start off at the tip top and just work our way down. So right at the very tippy top, we've got Ishamael. And did we see anything new with Ashamael this season? Any any interesting new character development? I think the relationship between Ishamael, um, Lanfear, and Luce Theron was probably one of the more intriguing things about this season. I want to see more about the history between Luce Theron and... Because he... It it really comes across like they both Lanfear and Ishamael blame Luz for them turning to the dark side, and I want to know more about that story. I'm hoping we get a few more reveals in in upcoming seasons. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I I mentioned this before the the and I don't know if it's just the movie or if it's the books also that it kind of there's this weird wrench that conflicts in my brain of we're talking about two turnings of the wheel or multiple turnings of the wheel because the way they kind of present it is that the Forsaken and Luz Theron and everybody involved in that little mess happened in the last turning of the wheel and that we're in the next one but then supposedly this has happened multiple times before that so apparently the Forsaken are only like two turnings of the wheel old or, I don't know, it's a little, a little muddy with that relationship and how that works. So, 
think about it this way. Most turns of the wheel, everybody eventually dies and is reborn in, in the next age. Um, but this last time, the Forsaken ended up being trapped along with the Dark One. So for the first time, they've been taken outside of that and are still the same people they were okay, in the last turning. So these are the, the only ones that have carried over physically from one age to another. But, you know, the souls have been there consistently, if that makes sense. Okay. Yep. All right. I think I explained the metaphysics there. <laughs> Which makes me wonder now if Shamael was on the dark side prior to the cycle with Lou Theron. Like that was the cycle where he was trapped out outside the the turn of the wheel, but before in previous incarnations was he on the dark side? Was he on the light side? Was he did he go back and forth? Like I imagine most people aren't consistent. It would depend on how their life turned out. And the same with Lanfear, right? Does, does she get um, disappointed by the dragon every single turning of the wheel? It turns <laughs> dark every single time. Because that would be a terrible thing to live through all yeah, the time. Yeah, you've heard about don't get back, don't have hate sex with your ex. Like, <laughs> you know, <it's> like that's... <laughs> just carrying that to the nth degree. <laughs> don't ha don't have hate sex with your ex from a previous age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So could it be that like because of their particular like engagement with magic and stuff that they started to have memories of previous lives and that's kind of what triggered um Eshamael's um, desire to break off the wheel. Like, he, it's just... Because his key motivation is that he's, he's had enough. He's done. Right? And, and that strikes me as only a thing... Either it's a purely intellectual thing that he's just raised into being his issue um, because he wants something to um, hate the dragon for, or he has developed enough like memory of previous lives to feel tired and i'm assuming the latter rather than the former i don't think we've had anything that really articulates that clearly um i'm going to completely ignore everything you just said and say is that your cat snoring in the background <laughs> yes it is <laughs> it's not snoring it, it, it's rock breathing oh okay so he always sounds like that um, but he did give me a, a good opportunity to completely avoid what you just said. Right. <laughs> I totally agree with you, Axel, because I, I think that the, the source carries memories with it of the previous age. I really and, do. Which also kind of ties into the whole Heroes of the Horn thing, right? Yeah. Like and, they're, and again, they, they're people that are coming back with memories of, of who they were before. It seems like every time Rand accesses the source, he... Remember, seems to remember being the dragon more often. That's that's kind of I don't know. I find that that answer kind of disappointing. I don't want the circle of like the whole point to me of having the wheel is that you come back a fresh slate. You know, like new opportunities, new experiences, a chance to try again, and and being tied to previous turns 
feels like it go again. It goes like, why would I want to do this again for fuck's sake? <laughs> Wait, and well, that isn't that exactly that's exactly Ishmael's point, right? Like he doesn't want to. He he remembers it. He knows it, and he he doesn't like this, right? Um, and it <laughs> so, kind of makes sense if you, if you have no record, if you have no re- like, because the the point that the Isidai have made, in fact, is that you don't know what happened to you before, and the wheel doesn't care, and your soul is not a thing of intelligence that's reborn. It's just the thing that makes you a person, right? And so with each cycle. It's just being reused in the same way that, you know, like the carbon and, you know, the hydrogen and the oxygen in our bodies have been people before. But we have no connection to those people that, 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 you know, we're built of. Right. Um, But if you don't have any recollection of what you did before, then you aren't the same. Like the fact that soul has lived before is meaningless if you have no recollection of it. Right. Because it doesn't inform who you are now. It's just material. Well, and perhaps that's the point, right? Because mm. this this turning of the wheel, we now have something that's unique, which is previous incarnations reliving through the next turning of the wheel. Mm-hmm. So now we finally get to notice the differences, just like um, Ishmael being completely blown away by all of the choices that our Two Rivers crew is making in, in this season. He's completely yeah. flabbergasted that he lost. Like he expects everything to happen the same way, and it doesn't. He's because he's been he's been around for six thousand years. He knows how everything works. You are the same people that you were before. Of course, you're going to behave the way that you did before because you're the same person. Oh, you're not because you've had different lived experiences this time round. Unlike him, and similarly, unlike Land like Landfear is in a position where Rand can be not the same guy that he was before. And not be the dick to her that he was before. He can be a different type of dick to her this time. (laughs) 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 There's just trying not to crack up or make any kind of gesture that will give anything away. (laughs) Y'all are scratching at something that I can't, I don't feel like I can give away yet. But (laughs) yeah, you're, you're, you're scratching at something you, you're, (laughs) <laughs> you are you are right on top of it axel i'm actually just going to give this to you mm-hmm. okay um so yes the reason for ishamael's nihilistic view of wanting to end the wheel and end the suffering ishamael was the first to pledge himself to the dark one the ultimate first we're talking Mm -hmm. back when the wheel first started turning. Okay. And because of that, Ishamael is the only human being alive who can remember every single one of his previous turnings of the wheel. Right. Okay. Oh, how terrible. So he can go right back to like the, that stone wheel with like uh, a wooden bar sticking through it from the com- comic strip BC. Yes, exactly. He goes all the <laughs> right. way back. Yeah, he remembers yeah. all the way back there. See, right. To me, that sounds like a curse. Exactly. Yeah. That's why he wants to end the wheel. He's He is done. Stop the world, baby. I want to get off. <laughs> I can't get over mistakes that I've made when I was 20. I can't imagine having thousands of incarnations of 
you know, social awkwardness mm-hmm. and anxiety to look back yeah. on. <laughs> I'd, I'd want the wheel off myself. Mm-hmm. And, and seeing, like... Everyone else making the same mistakes again and again and again, and you can warn them, and you can feel like the the biggest cassette, like Cassandra, right? I know how this turns out. I know what happens if we do this this dumb thing, and you're not listening to me, just like you didn't listen to me ten times before. He's Bill Murray in Groundhog Day, only writ over three thousand years instead of so Groundhog Millennium. Yeah, well, not just three thousand years. <laughs> we're we're talking. Yeah. yeah. Possibly millions of years. But what I mean is, yeah. like, instead of it being like one day recurring, it's a millennium recurring. That that really makes me think about um, the curse of Leandrin pledging herself to the Dark One to give her son eternal life, and how that turned like it's a real monkey's paw deal. Yeah, that you ask for the thing you want most, and he gives it to you in the worst possible way. So, yeah, that makes perfect sense to me that he would want to annihilate the world if that's what he's living through. Well, he also kind of uses it as a weapon later against Matt, knowing that understanding your previous lives can be torture mm-hmm. and, and turn you mad. Even though he doesn't have the means to actually give Matt views of his previous life and probably obviously wouldn't want to given what Matt actually is but yeah this really ties into me having a whole my, my, my sympathy for Ishamaya like he like he doesn't have like yeah be, being forced forced immortality is not a gift you know I think that there's a lot of fiction that touches on that yeah, yeah. Um, like because you don't have agency is really important and if you are going to repeat life again and again and again, like actually to a certain extent in that case, maybe him being in prison for 3,000 years was a bit of a break. Because he didn't have to deal with the idiots of the rest of the world. He didn't have to see the same stupid shit being done. At the very least, you could just sit in a corner kind of like, you know. <laughs> he gets to just sit and chill for a bit. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Some finally nothing happens. Yeah, finally he has nothing, yeah, which is yeah. what he's looking for. You know, and so having had a taste of what it's like to have nothing, now he knows what he wants. That could, you know, so that could make like the the uh, the prospect of um, non-existence even more enticing. So I'm assuming um, from all this that one cannot change their mind once you've tied yourself to the dark one. You're committed. You can't. That's not a deal you can ever break. I think they kind of insinuated that in the show. I, I mean, in the kind of in the same way that if you tie yourself to the mob, you're never out because, you know, you can walk away from the mob, but the mob's not going to walk away from you kind of thing, you know? So, um, but there is also a saying in, in, in this world, um, no one can walk in the shadow so long that they cannot be brought back to the light. Something, something to that extent. So the, the people of this world believe that there is redemption possible. Whether or not that's true is up to personal interpretation. And I guess the hard part that part of it is finding a path to it. 
right? It, it seems like it's very easy to say to the dark one, hi, can I join your gang? But the, the, the light one does not have a similar, like, uh, shop storefront out there. You know, he makes it difficult, which is a bit of a gittish thing to do, really, you know. You know what, Siobhan? Um, you just scratched right on top of something also. You, you hit the X right on the spot, and I'm going to give this one to you also. Um, part of this season, the whole thing with uh, Ingtar. We remember Ingtar, and he was um, he, he was chasing after the horn. And, and his focus was on the horn. Like, he, he was always saying, we need to get the horn. You know, if, if our friends are in trouble too bad, we need to go after the horn. You know, his whole focus was the horn. And they never quite paid that off. And I, I from what I understand, they just ended up cutting this storyline for time. But in the books, it is eventually revealed that Ingtar is a dark friend, and he is the one who let the dark friends into Faldara. But during the journey of trying to find the horn, like like when, when everything started happening, he suddenly realized, oh, this isn't a joke. I really am pledged to the dark. How can I bring myself back to the light? And that's why he got focused on the horn. He wanted to be the one to blow the horn and thought that that might bring him back to the light. But... In the end, he sacrificed himself for the rest of them in an attempt to say, I am, I am still here trying to fight for the light. That, that would have been a great storyline to include. Like, to, me, to me, you don't need you know, a person to pat you on the head and say you're redeemed now. You just need to make different choices. But your whole question about the, you know, can you be redeemed if you turn to the dark? And, you know, there was actually a storyline in this season that addressed that. Yeah, and I'm, disapp got cut, I'm disappointed so. we didn't get to see that because I think that would have. That would have been like a nice little parallel um, to have somebody who made a different choice in, you know, in the final hour. But yeah, I, th I think we've we've looked into Ishamael pretty far there that I've given away a couple mm -hmm. of the, the deeper. Uh, I've, I've given away a bit too much, I feel. So. <laughs> Shh, we'll forget. Yeah. Uh, so let's move. Let's move on and uh, talk about our other forsaken this season, Lanfear. See, so, you know, there's an interesting thing about somebody making different choices because she ends up helping Rand at the very end. And she was obviously going to try and dump the seals that held back the other Forsaken into the sea. So it almost feels like she is tied to the dark, the dark one, but has decided to make different choices, not necessarily to work just towards his goals. So the question there is, is she trying to get rid of the other Forsaken in order to help Rand or in order to do away with her competition? I saw it as a competition thing for sure. Because mm. I could see it going either way at this point. Like, you know, she does 
seem to have a loyalty to Rand, even though, even even with everything in their past, or in yeah, her past. Yeah, that's sort of the thing. Like her interest seems to be like um, the, you know the the dragon's love. Um, she was part of the you know, like the gang of three, and he like the dragon went the wrong way compared to the other two. But now Ishmael's gone. She doesn't have his pressure pulling her one way. She's just got Rand's pressure, like pulling her towards him. Um, so she becomes potentially redeemable. Um, or she will continue to do the, or she will continue to do bad things for good reasons and fuck shit up. I think I, so. Let, let, don't make no mistake. I think Lanfear is a terrifying person. I mean, you saw how easily she just slaughtered people when she was chasing Rand and Moraine. She is not a good person, <laughs> but no. but her relationship with Rand is very different, I think, than her relationship was with Luz Theron. She was obsessed with Luz Theron, whereas Rand is, even though he's he is the reincarnation of Luz Theron, he's still not the same person. He's he's a kid, and he's a good-hearted kid, and I think that her relationship with Rand is different enough. That she can do, even though she's a bad person, she can do good things, if that makes sense. Like she's not incapable of of helping him and and doing the right thing, even though it's even though she's like a horrible, vicious, self centered person. <laughs> yeah, like I could I could see her doing. She's kind of like doing terrible things for the wrong reason, right? To earn Rand's love, but it ends up doing things that Rand wants done. So she helps our heroes while still remaining a a, a a villain. She's a lovely, complex person. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know that helping Ntar and uh, Loyal get the horn necessarily fits into the taking out the other, the competition structure. But it does help Brand survive the battle. So she's, yeah, there you go. She's doing good things. Yeah. For her own selfish reasons, perhaps, but she's, yeah, she's an interesting character. I just, I'm really interested to see what they, what they. Well, the fact that her. she has her memories of her relationship with Luz there and colors her relationship with Rand. Mm -hmm. It's going to be different inevitably because of that. And that touches, it also creates some opportunity for some, some interesting, like, um, discussion of morality, right? Like, um, you've got motivation you've got action and you've got outcome right all three of those can be um can point in different directions right which matters her roommate like does her being caught up uh, on the in the dark side depend on what she does why she does it or the consequences of what she does the thing i find interesting as a book reader is the Showing the the relationship, this triad between Luz Theron and Ishamael and Lanfear, which isn't really something explicitly from the books, but it you could imply it because yeah, she was Luz Theron's girlfriend and he was Luz Theron's best friend. Of course, they're going to have their own little sibling style relationship because of that. And of course they're going to bond later on when they both feel jilted by Luz Theron. So of course there's going to be this like weird familial friendship 
closeness happening there. And I, I loved it. And that brings out another interesting, that actually brings up another point. Like, so Ishamael goes into the relationship with Luz Theron, knowing that he's known this guy a million times before. Right? So is he trying to steer, so was his friendship really, was it a real friendship, or was it just, you know, pretend, you know, was he just faking it for the sake of trying to get the dragon to do what he wants the dragon to do? Finally, this time, he'll, he'll get it right once. He you know, must like, have been a weird little kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? and that's another thing, too. Like, at what point is it, how much memory does he have, when does it kick in? Um... I don't know this for certain, but I feel like the memory kicks in at the point that he swears himself to the dark again. So he gets okay. through, he has a normal <laughs> childhood, like, and at some point in his life, he always does something that results in him saying, hey, dark, darkness, I want to join, and then the darkness says, you've done this before. Here's your backstory. <laughs> And then he goes, oh, fuck, what? I have to read how much? I thought 13 books was a big fucking series. This makes, wait, this makes Michael Warcock's Eternal Champion look small. Good God. Got to sit down for a few days to process the memories flowing through. And now he's 50. <laughs> Good job he's immortal, I guess. So maybe that's why he only, at, like, each turn of the wheel he has one incarnation, because he spends most of that incarnation remembering all his previous incarnations. <laughs> Flashback montage. Solves everything. Mm -hmm. And no wonder he's tired by the end of it. Good God. <laughs> so, what do we see Lanfear doing in the future? What Do we think she's I mean, a lot of that will depend on Rand. Hmm. She, he told her indirectly, but he did say that he loved her. And that was obviously a very pivotal moment for her. So he can fuck that up. <laughs> 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 or he can make her an ally and, you know, not necessarily a trustworthy ally, but somebody who will, who will, who will help him. Do we see any world in which Rand and her end up together again? Yeah. <laughs> it's possible. Yeah. I wouldn't lay money on it. Um, could could you sit like I could see her potential I could see a path where she bonds with Egwene. Lanfear does? Yeah. As a result of Egwene's trauma and all all of the pain and suffering that she's experienced, the two of them bond and they form a triad with Rand and, and everything's lovely. And fucked up. <laughs> Because those two are both very fucked up. <laughs> aye, aye, aye. <laughs> you wanted reactions. <laughs> I, I still see a redemption arc for her, but I don't see it ending with a relationship with Rand. Maybe in the short term, I could, I could see her not being willing to give up what she had with Rand right away, but I would... It would, it would <laughs> quite honestly, it would be good for her if she got over him. I, I would say at this point, Rand is probably like nowhere near going near her. So he, what he does, still can't get over the whole dark friend thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what do we think this is going to? Is is this going to cause issues for any uh, uh, future love interests of Rand's? Um, I would say yes. I mean, 
even it like yeah i i mean i can see lanfear as a very jealous girlfriend who likes to murder people and has no was compunctions it, against murdering anything that the anybody that gets in her way. Did, was there a previous podcast where we compared Rand's story to Scott? Yeah, that's Pilgrim? what I was just thinking. <laughs> <laughs> She's all of the evil exes like, in one. Every time, every time Rand gets involved with someone, she has to fight the evil exes. <laughs> <laughs> well, is that going to also cause an issue in Rand with anybody that he falls for? Is he going to be like, wait, are you secretly a dark friend or are yeah, you secretly yeah. another <laughs> one of my exes from another age? Yeah. Yeah. And like, I mean, his, as he is starting to recall his previous lie, previous existences, is he going to start to see parallels or like be able to identify people that he has, he has known in previous turns of the wheel? Um, and feelings for them and feel that his potential feelings for them might be compromised and therefore distant withdraws from people and gets a whole bunch of fuck up just around that. Trying to not be the person that he was before, but not knowing the, who the person that he was before was. Ah, uh, reincarnation's horrible. Yeah, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> when you put it that way, yes, yes, it is. Um, any more thoughts around Lanfear? She is a complex character, and I really, I really, like, Shamael was a straight-up baddie. <laughs> like, all of his motivation was very clear, very straightforward. Lanfear's got layers, and I like that about her. Be interesting to see some different emotions from her besides just anger. Okay, so let's move on. We do have one more Forsaken that we saw this season, right at the very end. There, We, we don't know much about her yet, but I want just initial thoughts what we're getting from this character she's delightfully creepy <laughs> yeah <laughs> she is she's going to be like weird and creepy and in the background and and great i love the spider allegory yeah yeah i i like how they made her threads very spiderweb like that's that's not something that was described in the books but it fits it it works i like it She's going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have no idea. And now we have the uh, the rest of the set too. There's seven of them. Is that right? So there's um, yeah. There other others? other than Ishamael, there's seven others. Yes. Okay, so so we've met two. We've met three out of eight. Three out of eight. Yes. Yeah. And we so, have names for two more of them. Right. We know that there is Grandall and Samael. And so presumably we they they will start to show up in later seasons in so various ways. So do we get ways. like a bad guy per season? <laughs> is that kind of what I envisioned at the end of this one? If what we've seen is any indication, they don't work well together. Yeah, so you generally don't aren't going to have well to fight others. them as a whole. Yeah. Well, I mean, if if you look at the dark, it seems like they're very much a survival of the fittest type. Mm -hmm. You know, the strong shall survive. So, yeah, that doesn't really tend to lead to a whole lot of collaboration. Which is also why they lose. See, because collaboration is, because it's ultimately, like, it, friendship It's the is power magic. of friendship, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that, that's the human condition. again. <laughs> I mean, that, like, yeah, I mean, that, that, I mean that's, that is the human condition, right? We are a social species. Socializing makes us stronger. The bad guys don't. And therefore, always inevitably lose. A pretty common theme throughout, like, fiction and mythology, etc. So, that's what we would expect. 
and possibly what made Lanfear and Ishamael particularly dangerous is because they are two of the Forsaken who could work together. Unfortunately, not all the time. And, you know, Ishamael got to say, curse your... Um, <laughs> Sudden but inevitable betrayal. <laughs> Um, so moving on, uh, we've got some new dark friends this season in the form of Lady Suroth and her retinue. She struck me as very childish. Like, I want what I want and I want it now. And she became a dark friend out of petulance and, and. She seems like a socialite who sold her soul to the devil in order to become the primary socialites yeah. kind yeah. of. Yeah. Like I want to be more powerful and influential, but I don't want to put in work to do it. I yeah. just want to get what I want. Yeah. And so this I is mean, a, a perfect example of, of what somebody in the ruling class, why they would turn to the dark side. Power is cheap for them, so they don't so you know, everything is cheap. Including their own soul. Oops. I think Barthanus kind of had that same track as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there there is definitely a parallel there that you know Perthanis also wanted to take the easy way. She stamps her feet a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is not working out the way she thought it was going to. Instead, she's got to you know do everything that Ishamael tells her, and Ishamael has his own goals, so he doesn't really care about whether or not Suroth gets what she wants. Um. So one thing that we didn't bring up in the episodes, but. If you notice, her entire retinue are either dark friends or very cool with her being a dark friend. Do they necessarily know? Like, her voice knows, because her voice is always with her. But if we think about it, like, when she went to meet Leandrin, she had her her whole palanquin, her soldiers, her soldam with her, and they and she and Leandrin were openly talking about serving their master. I mean, she's going to have, presumably she's picked her, her, you know, her servants, and if they weren't okay with it, she would have had them executed by now. Um, or, if, and if they had been good enough to do something about it, she would have been executed by now. And since she hasn't been executed by now, she's killed off any that would be, that could have been a problem for her. She's just the president of the, the dark side club of uh, the Sean yeah. Chan. I just interpreted that as the Shanchen are such an incredibly hierarchical, controlling society that you don't necessarily understand what's going on, and you definitely don't ask questions. Yeah, and that that could be another, an easily another part of it, like the the how she's got to the point of having a retinue that are totally okay with her being evil is. Is a question, right? Like, is it because they they're doing what they're told? If the boss says we follow evil, then we follow evil because we follow the boss, um, right? Which, which is what I was going to bring up. Is it is it just because Sean Shan society is so strictly regimented and so hierarchical and so mm-hmm. stratified that you you just if somebody is above you and they tell you we're dark friends now, well, yeah. we're dark friends now, yeah. But I, but I don't think she would even tell them they're dark friends. It's like, we are going to a place, we are doing a thing, mm-hmm. and you just do. Like You, you just obey orders. think about yeah. the reason or the motivation. You just yeah. say, this is my boss telling me what to do, yeah. and 
you obey or you die. Yeah. And also, it's you don't even or die, it's just you obey because you obey. So, you know, like, um, my mother and her parents are German, and I grew up there, and, you know, like, our history on that side, up until, let's say, about 80, 70 years ago, around about 70 years ago, something happened that changed German society into not being kind of like, we do what we're told because we're told to do it, and obeying the boss is always the right thing to do. Um, I'm not entirely sure what that was, but there was a major cultural change that happened in, I would say, about 1945. <laughs> I wonder what that would have been. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, and, but, and I believe there there was a, a situation where a bunch of people were told, yeah, just because you're, somebody told you to do it doesn't mean you're supposed to do it. And they got in trouble for that. Yeah, so it changed German society. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. And yeah, just obeying orders is something that our culture has kind of said is not a valid defense for doing bad things. And it kind of sometimes seems like there are people out there that maybe should need to have that, need to be reminded of that. Because it doesn't seem to have sunk in quite as much as you'd like. But yeah, so I can totally buy that that's where she's, like, that's where her retinue are coming from. Because everything about the song Chen seems very much like, you obey orders. And we obey, you know, we're here because we're here. We do what the boss tells us, you know, like, just, I mean, it's in effect, like, that's the culture that you want if you're going to have a big empire, right? You don't want people questioning orders, because that makes it really difficult to get shit done. That's true. That, that, that's, why, that's why dictators like to dictate, because, yeah. you know, if, if it has to go to committee, then it's never going anywhere. I just want it to be done now, damn it. Makes me wonder why we didn't see more of a fallout when she gets her nails cut off and gets kind of demoted. She still seems to retain her status with all of her followers and everything, but. Uh, she's still a member of the blood. She's just not, not real. She's just not to be seen in public. She's, you know. She's been demoted from like a major general to, uh, to, to lieutenant general. Way around it goes. Anyway, it's like she's still a general, but she's less of a general than she used to be. So, from the perspective of her retinue, she's still more important than them. And even more important than she's a general, she's still an officer class, and they're all... They're, exactly, yeah. 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 Yeah, I thought of it as more of a shaming thing than, than a real domation. It's like you have been publicly shamed. You will wear your shame in public, in front of your peers. They will know what happened to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. Rather than, you know, you don't you don't lose power or possessions, but all the people, the courtiers, are like sniggering at you behind their hand now. But the but if the oiks comment on it publicly, you still get to chop their heads off. Yeah. Because they're still oiks. <laughs> yeah, it, and it's very much that case of like you said, power is cheap. All these these people are all so high that they all have so much power that. You don't, the the way to really get under their skin is to shame them, you know, it, it's taking away their possessions doesn't matter because they'll just get more possessions kind of thing or, or whatever it is. So, and if you have a culture where the ruling class are hereditary, it's really dangerous to fire people from the ruling class because then you're setting up the prospect that it, that ruling class is, is optional. You don't right. want to set an example the, like the that. Blood, the yeah, blood exactly. means nothing at that point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Same reason that, like, in war, you never attack the generals. 
The generals get to stay up on the hill and watch everybody else fighting, right? So interestingly enough, in the Shanchan Empire, blood is hereditary, but it is also by decree. Mm-hmm. Um, the the empress can raise people to the blood, and she can demote them from the blood. Oh, interesting. But nobody else has that power. It's just strictly the empress. It's pretty much empress and maybe vice empress power. You know, but but, yeah, yeah. adopted or excommunicated, as the case may be, more or less. Um, And it's generally, you know, you did something really heinous, or you did something wonderful in service to the empire, kind of thing. But yeah, very much. That's very much the. I assume that's very much the exception. Yes, it might happen, and if it does, that's going to be headlines. Like, that's news, that's something that everyone goes, oh my god, this thing happened. Um, so certainly it wouldn't be something that just because you fuck up a little bit out on some frontier during an invasion, you know, um, and the Emperor's deputy is there, you're not going to, you can't, nobody could do that. Yeah, no, uh, the about the only thing that Surath is going to be able to do to get dropped from the blood is if they find out she's a dark friend. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> One thing that shows the Hoshanchan's Chibras is like they're at the, like they're an invasion invasion force across an ocean, and they still have like courtiers there doing courtly things, not just like pure military base. Right. Like that's a sign that they don't think that they have anything to worry about. Yeah. Very much so. Well, I mean, when you have enslaved people who are essentially, you know, the equivalent of a, a canon in this world. But on the other hand, like, this is a continent that they haven't been to in, like, a really long time. They don't have any recent intelligence from it, by, you know, by all accounts. I don't recall any, 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 you know, like, they just showed up with a big fleet, landed it, and said, we're here, we're in, we're back. We're taking our land back, and we are so confident that we're going to win. We're not even going to establish it purely as... We're going to send in people who can die easily that are important. They're just going to be here for a party. Depending on how extensive the Empress's um, knowledge of the prophecies are, they probably think they have intelligence on the situation. That's possible. I mean, we, we haven't been given a lot of information on that, but presumably they come from a place where they believe that the the prophecies that the Empress can interpret correctly tell them exactly what's going to happen. I wonder if they have the same dark friends in the tower situation that the Aes Sedai have. Wouldn't surprise me. Uh, and I mean, the hubris bit also goes back to our discussion about the episode where they're in, their city is assaulted and they had no defenses up. And... I guess that ties into counters my kind of like this is bullshit because they're being dumb. The counter being they just they have so much hubris um, because they're so used to winning that they don't even think about the possibility of not winning, of even having a fight worth talking about. There's not a thing that could possibly happen. Oh shit, it did. Oops. And I guess the question that'll come up now is how big of an expeditionary force was that? You know, how much did they send, you know, the bulk of their army over and now they're pretty fucked? Or was it just like 
an expeditionary force that they can afford to lose and having lost it. In fact, it turns out that was the scouting party. And then they're going to come back in a couple of years' time, like with ten times the number. <laughs> and Ruot's giving a look that says, he knows the answer to that and we don't. And that's exactly what I, what I, what I hope for. I, I, I'm just going to say that so far in, in today's discussions, you guys are a lot more right than, than not right. With a lot of things. It, it's almost creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Look at it this way. We've read a lot of books. <laughs> yes, yes, you have. <laughs> so I think moving on from High Lady Suroth, uh, and we, we brought this up earlier, uh, Barthanis. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. And I've read the books and I didn't see it coming. But in my defense, it was a radically different character than the character in the books. So I really just thought it was a... a, a a recycling of the name. I, I think it was a good choice to make him like sweet and, you know, guileless and, <laughs> and then completely yank the rug out from under you. I thought it was well, a yeah, really We're supposed good to fall choice. in love with Moraine's family and he's the one that's all on Moraine's side and, and their well, buddy. He buddy felt and, like the heart of the yeah. family. Yeah. Because. You know, everybody else in the family is just staring daggers at each other, and he just walks into the room and like, oh, auntie, don't you love my sandwiches? <laughs> and, you know, it, it's, it's, uh... and and that is that's great, right? Like that's that's what you want to do if you're going to be a snake in the grass. That's why the yeah. Scarlet Pimpernel uh -huh. was able to operate for as long as he was, because no one suspected the the dumb aristocrat to be conniving. Yeah. So I think due to the fact that this character is so radically different than the character from the books, like there, there are two completely separate characters. Right. I think this gives me some space that I get to, to contemplate on this one. And okay. what I've been thinking with this character is he actually is very much what he presents himself as. He actually is that gormless, guileless kind of person. But I think what happened is his mother and his auntie wanted to keep him from all of that stuff that happens in Kyrie and all of the game of houses, all of that. They, they wanted him to be like their father, who was, from what they were saying, a very kind-hearted person who, who did not play all, the, all of these games. And I think he saw them playing their games and thought that they thought he wasn't good enough. Mm -hmm. And so he, when somebody said, hey, if you just sell your soul, we'll make you real good at the game or we'll make the game work for you. He was like, oh, haha, I can show mom and auntie that I'm as good as, as at the game as them. And because he hadn't been trained properly, he didn't know what he was doing. Yeah, he didn't he read the fine print because they hadn't taught him to always read the fine print. So they're protecting him is what set him up to, 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 to be fucked, to be do to become doomed. Yeah. I get that. I sort of see it as they, I wonder if they would have trained him if he was a daughter. Mm-hmm. That's likely, too. likely. Yeah. You know, the whole, you know, Women have certain kinds of magic that men don't. Well, in Kyrian society, maybe that magic is being able to play the game of houses. The, the job of the men is to look pretty and sit on the throne. 
and make and make you know and and be traded off like cattle for yeah. for alliances and stuff. Yeah, That's exactly. Interesting. That's an interesting turnaround. But also, I think like if if he is someone who thinks in straight lines, he doesn't necessarily have the kind of brain that could play those kind of of games of um, influence and suggestion because selling your soul for influence is very much, you know, a straight line. Whereas the machinations that you do behind the scenes is a lot more convoluted than that. You know, his mother might have taught him those skills if he'd showed any inclination towards it because what he did was not in any way subtle. Makes the, makes for the perfect pawn because they can't, you know, think for themselves and, and choose different paths. They just kind of do as they're told and, and move on. Makes for a great soldier. And like, which again, kind of tying into the, the, the concept of the power dynamic in that culture being that women are the, the kings, essentially. Like they, they, they are the strategists and the role of men is to do what they're told. Um, so he... He did what he was told. So, with all of the information that we now have, that that we all just just kind of intuited there, mm-hmm. let's talk about the uh, nameless uncle that they've referenced a couple times. The uncle that brought their house to shame, that that brought down a, their great house. Was he a dark friend? Because <laughs> that'd do it. Well, we've seen from the other men in the family that they're. Or, or at least from the description of the other men in the family, they're they're kind of gormless. They're kind of thinking straight lines. Mm-hmm. Did their uncle actually bring down their house, or was their uncle just kind of led by the nose to bring down their house? What you know? What do we think may have happened there? Either sounds reasonable. I I always picture gambling debts as being the. <laughs> just because it's the easy thing to picture every time. And it is, I mean, that is a grand tradition in, in, in history of Noble rich families, and poor, I mean, yeah. ga- gamb- and, and exactly the kind of thing that you do when you're a dumb guy who thinks in straight lines, because mm-hmm. you go gambling against somebody who is clever and is setting you up for it, and you get played like an idiot, and then, boom, you got to give the house weight, which would tie into, I guess, a question around, are the houses, like, the women, if may run the things behind the scenes but the guy's name is on the on the property on the on the on the title that's a fucked up situation they really should be fixing that yeah i wouldn't be surprised if it was something like that because Envier specifically mentions begging the other houses for leftovers after their parties like they were poor poor right so that sounds like it wasn't just a loss of social status it's also also a loss of money not being able to pay your bills. And that could well tie into gambling debts, gambled away all of the money that they had, and then some. Yeah. Uh, it seems that playing the, the game of houses would require a certain level of status and, and money, being able to go to all the parties and mm-hmm. give all the courtly gifts and whatever is required. So, And it, it's kind of interesting that it happens in Moraine's family. And, and when when does that happen is it while she's at the tower? Mm-hmm. Is all that? So if it does fa- fall to be a dark friend or the dark side guiding him to make the house fall, is it because of Marine? 
a noble lady from a fallen house. Okay, so moving on, I let's uh, let's talk about our returning bad guy from last season. But bad guy in in quotes here. I don't know about so much bad as as Weasley, but uh, Pad and Fane. I think he's a bad guy. Like he's, he is very clearly uh, a dark. He's a dark friend. Yeah. But we have we have established that being a dark friend doesn't necessarily mean that you're a bad person. Sometimes it just means you you want the treadmill to stop. Yeah, but in his case, he's, a he's bad clearly doing it because, yeah, he's a dick. He likes leading Trollocs around. He watched the massacre at, 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 at Two Rivers happen right at the beginning and was digging it. You know, like, he was not looking like, oh my god, what have I done? All these people that I've known for years are being murdered because I brought the, you know, the, the death here. Like, that says to me, pretty fucking evil. Also a complete Weasley coward. Yeah. <laughs> he runs as soon as things don't go his way. Which was really outside of the character that we known so far. I think that seems legit. Like, I mean, he he isn't an upfront leader. Like, he, his, he likes being in the background, right? He's a traveling merchant who goes around, does the thing, la da 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 and does a little bit of evil along the way, but everyone thinks he's okay. You know, he doesn't he doesn't he's not a fighter, he doesn't he doesn't have bodyguards even. You know. So his character is different enough from the book that I'm gonna actually weigh in on this because I have no book knowledge to to yeah. back this up. But to me, this version of the character very much feels like an agent of chaos. That's what yes. I was gonna say, yeah. He's, he's not doing it because he's evil, he's not doing it because it's necessarily fun. He's doing it because he just likes to watch the world burn. You know, he he wants to to just add elements of chaos and see what happens because of it. Not not because he's evil, but because it's it's just what he does. You know, I'd I'd buy that as evil. Like he is goes Loki in... evil. No, but Loki isn't ne doesn't necessarily do things that that are all bad, and he causes himself as many problems as he causes other people. Ah. Yeah. Um, whereas Pad and Fane isn't doing chaotic things that turn out well for people. He's strictly doing chaotic bad <laughs> things. Yeah, yeah. I guess he is very much chaos. Yeah, I guess I guess this is an alignment thing. Chaos and evil can intersect. So yeah. Like yeah, because like for example, if if he had because of redeemable features, he could have been nice to Matt when Matt was younger. Right? Like he could have he could have given him deals. You know, but instead he's always looking at maximizing his profit there. Um well he may have already been trying to to uh lead Matt towards the dark side, you know, by if if he gave him deals that yeah. you know if he screws him over and like keeps getting him pissed off, pissing him off is gonna, you know Anger leads to hatred, hatred leads to the dark side. Right. Yeah. And and that evil. Right? He's made like you know, making people Okay. Oh, 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 okay. You, you you guys are, are pulling me around on, <laughs> on this. Uh, yeah. I, I I genuinely feel he's one of the few people in the show that has no redeeming characters <laughs> characteristics. He's like just absolute shit and enjoying himself. Maybe that, that is his one redeeming feature is he's obviously having a great time. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say his redeeming feature is he's, he's happy. You, you know, nobody else in this world seems to be fucking happy, but he's goddamn happy. <laughs> yeah, it's true. The, the one time that his happiness was spoiled was by Matt coming out with the knife on a stick. 
the look of shock on his face was glorious to see. Uh, he seems to be the only villain in in this show that is actually muahaha actual, just yeah, mustache pure evil for evil's sake, <laughs> yeah. or chaotic for chaotic. See, sake. I still don't feel like it's evil for evil's sake. I feel like it's evil for lol's sake. Yeah. he's an online troll. He's doing it for the lols. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yes. So, how is he portrayed in the book that's different? Um, like I said, he in previous episodes, he's he's a bit more of a sympathetic character, at least at this point in in the the story. Heavy on the pathetic part of sympathetic. Oh, really? Okay. Like, like he is very kind of like oh, like like you feel like he has been forced into the dark, not that it has been a choice of his. It's kind of like so he was a crappy merchant who was just about getting by doing this run and then things got a bit bad and kind of the dark offered him here's a turnip <laughs> if you join me you can have turnips um so he's like yeah okay that's better than starving and which is interesting because most i think most of the other divergent characters that you you've described the book has been less sympathetic like the divergences in general in the TV series has made characters more nuanced and and more interesting. But with Pat yes. and Fane, they've just said, fuck that noise. We're doing it the other way. Yeah, yeah, very much. That's kind of what it feels like. Which means either we're going to have some massive change in about season five when we find out the true secret behind Pat and Fane. Or he gets to be kind of comedy gold throughout the series in a very dark comedy kind of a way. So I've brought up before how the show seems to be taking a holistic look at the characters mm -hmm. and, and rather than having, you know, several books of character development to become this character that we see, mm -hmm. they're just kind of bringing that character, the, the later character in earlier. Yep. Um, and I kind of feel like that's what's happening with Pat and Fane. Okay. Um, I'm not going to get too much into it, but Pat and Fane, like I said, is very pathetic in the books and very much losing his mind. Okay. And, and he's lost it here. Yes. He is past the, the losing his mind phase and, and well into just, oh. I'm, I'm not so here. Right. Yeah. He's real. Okay. So his backstory is that he could, he got, became a dark friend a long time ago because of reasons that would be very sympathetic. And he's seen how bad things are and he's regretting that choice, but he doesn't see any way out of it. So now he's decided, fuck it, acceptance. He's gone through his stages of grief. He said acceptance. See, he's a see, dark to friend. To me, he, he comes across as somebody who made that choice and it's working out for him. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he has no regrets. Well, the thing is, is that if he could have, like I said, I'm seeing it as potentially he's been through all the stages of grief and at the end of it is acceptance. So he's accepted this is his lot in life. So now his choices are to be a miserable git all the time or to jump right in with both feet and embrace it and he's decided to 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 you know to live the life he's got to to its best to live his best possible life which means being a terrible person which which kind of feels like um the joker in a way just mm -hmm. like you know shit is so horrible i'm just going to have fun mhm mm yeah and the joker is one of your favorite villains uh if no 
No, not actually. Okay. I, 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 I love the Joker from a mythological standpoint, especially okay. as, as a mirror to Batman, okay. you know, as of the difference between order and chaos. Batman yep. is order, Joker is chaos. That's why okay. they work so well as, as opposites. Right. Um, but as I, I am in the, the, uh, definitely in the camp of the Joker is a misogynistic asshole and Harley was right all along. So, oh, okay. so yeah, uh, Right. You know, that, that, when I think of the Joker, I don't think of the Joker through the Harlequin lens, the Harlequin lens. Like that, I think is a big, that, like the animated series made that a major part of what the character is, right? Um, but I guess my view of the Joker kind of like sits before that, before the whole animated series thing happened, right? See, I, I like the Joker as an agent of chaos without a backstory. Like, I have never watched the Jochen Phoenix Joker movie because the Joker, the Joker with a backstory ruins the Joker, in my opinion. Yeah. 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 He's an agent of chaos who wants to, who wants to, who wants to watch the world burn and is adding as much napalm to the mix as he can. Exactly. Yeah. My, my favorite Joker portrayal uh, for a long time has been the Heath Ledger one because he really brought forth the very strong impression that even he didn't know what he was going to do next. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that was that is very much taking the Joker con like the Joker character concept and amping it in the right direction. Yeah, he's just, he's in the back, like just holding on for dear life in yeah. the back of his own brain. Like, yeah, I don't know what yeah. the fuck's going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if I remember rightly, and it has been a couple of decades, I think that's the, the version that we get in um, the Batman Returns, the Frank Miller series rock do you remember um the the version in that was he was like in a suit and tie and like had had gone through psych psychiatry and was all reformed and shit and and then he goes back to murdering everybody yeah because it was all an act yeah because like all he can do is murder everybody like i think like that's the core of the character is that he wants to murder everybody and no matter what you do, he will always come back to, he is the murderer. He is death. He isn't, yeah, he's not a, he's not a person. He is a myth, he is a mythic, he, he is a mythic character. Which is why I like DC much more than Marvel, because DC leans into the mythology and, and godhood of their characters, whereas Marvel tries to make them more human, which is against the whole idea of why a superhero exists in the first place. But anyway, that's not uh, anything to do with Wheel of Time. Except that Wheel of Time is dealing with mythology all the time, so it is. Tangentially, but yes. Anyway, most of that Joker conversation is probably going to get cut. But, <laughs> but except for the part where, where we have determined that Patton Fan is in fact the Joker. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, maybe some of that might end up in the, the outtakes. We'll see. I, I think that that is, a, that, is a va that is a good, that is a useful comparison. Like... Um, so try and like, keep that, find something you can do to keep that in. I think we, we've settled on what Pad and Fane is. And so the next question is what happens next with him? Where's he oh, going? He's just going to show up <laughs> and just shit all over everything and then leave. Like that's, <laughs> that's what he does. <laughs> that's, that seems to be his MO so far. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The question is, is given that he like Matt nearly got him. Is he going to learn anything from that experience? Is that going to change his behavior in any way? I doubt I it. I kind of hope not. <laughs> My guess is that he would learn 
to stay away from the spotlight. Yeah, maybe. I was going to say, I, I think we, if we're looking at an alignment chart, we're looking at Padden Fane is chaotic evil. Mm-hmm. And he's on the same row as, as Matt in the chaos, chaos row. But Matt started out as chaotic neutral and at this point has become chaotic good. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So, so now they're definitely like staring at each other from either ends of, of the chaos row. Yep. 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 And like Matt that. is going to have a hate, a bigger hate for him than anybody else because Paddenfein really tried, has been fucking him over as long as he's known him now. Somebody he thought was like his bud, like back when he, you know, Matt's, Matt's the smart horse dealer guy who doesn't actually have any horses and big city merchant guy comes to town and they, they bro. Yeah. Oh no, you were using me all along. And was directly responsible for, you know, terrorizing his sisters and killing a bunch of people. In his oh, absolutely. Yeah. There are so many reasons, right? I, I hope he comes back. I, I really yeah. like, he's, he's a fun character. It's, it's fun to have a, an actual mustache twirling villain yep. in the cast to just pop in create problems and leave <laughs> and and, yep. and you you nailed it right there that's kind of Patton Fane's role through the story is he's just gonna pop up cause shit and snake and out, it, out again yeah yeah <laughs> that that is a valuable like that's a valuable character to have so let's move on we've got a, a few more villains to cover um and I think they're all white cloaks there's some big villainy there um so we have Valda again, and Valda, I don't think Valda has changed any. He has learned nope. nothing. <laughs> there is no character arc there. There is a character line. Valda is Valda. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Valda has learned nothing from his experiences and will probably continue to learn nothing from his experiences. Um, and what do we think all that nothing's going to add up to? He's just going to be a pain in the ass through the whole... He's, I guess, your other mustache-twirling villain. Well, he believes he's on the side of the light. But he still has a mustache that he's twirling from the perspective <laughs> of the audience, right? Like, the fact that his that his self, his um, self-image is 180 degrees out of line, out of alignment, is, is, is a separate thing, I, I think. But he is still occasionally useful, because, like, things like the White Cloaks attacking um, the Shan Chen was not a bad thing. It was, True. it was, you know, the, the, the Locals called for aid, and the white cloaks showed up. So he's it, it, like, not all of his his actions are bad. It's just he's an asshole. But did it like did his presence in the white cloaks make any difference to their attack? Like he's not one of the soldiers. He's one of the got Bornholt killed. He's one of the Inquisition, right? You know, he made it worse. If he hadn't been there, the white cloak attack would have been better. Yeah, it's right? true. He makes the white cloaks worse. Um, he is the weak link. Yeah. <laughs> Well, worse than the weak link, like, he isn't breaking it, he's making them a force for evil when they could be a force for good. He is a character that I have no doubt will survive and continue to reoccur because he is so incredibly useful to the plot, right? If you didn't have him, you'd need somebody else to make the White Cloaks the bad guys that they clearly are supposed to be and have to be. So you feel like he's going to be similar to Pat and Fane in that he's going to pop up, cause shit, and snake out. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's exactly what he did in that battle, right? Like, he could have not been there. The White Cloaks would have fought, and then, you know, like, Perrin wouldn't have been traumatized, and I wouldn't have been traumatized. 
Right. And Dane Bornhold wouldn't have been right. traumatized. Right, exactly, right? And so the White Cloaks would have come out, like, in a position where they could potentially, like, um, you know, like, make friends with our heroes and thus potentially create room for a reconciliation with the Aes Sedai as they realize that they both are pointing in the direction of the dark, you know, um, you know, the, the darkness is our, both our enemy. And we need to fight it, not each other. But because he's there, he's going to keep them at each other's throats. Yay. <laughs> um, and so he will, like, he will continue to get away with shit and escape for bad reasons. Because, like, he sh Perrin should have killed him twice now. Perrin mm. had motive... Both times. The first time I can understand him not doing it. But the wolf should have torn his throat out the first time. Right? And Perrin should have killed him the second time because the wolves didn't throw tear his throat out the second time. I want, so the, fact that I he want escapes, the show to get to the point eventually, like around season eight or nine, where Perrin shows up, Valda just sees him screams and runs. <laughs> 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 because like every time they run into each other, it's just bad news for Valda. <laughs> and by that point, he's got like one arm in a cast and he's like wearing that the, the neck brace and like he's using a crutch and <laughs> Come back, I'll bite your kneecaps off. <laughs> So, continuing down our list of of white cloak bad guys, um, Jeff Bornhold. Uh, we got a little bit of time with him this season, and for a while there, he seemed like an actually a good white cloak. Like he seemed like he was doing it for the right reasons. Yeah, you know, witch hunting for the right reasons, but but. Still, he seemed like he had a level head on his shoulders. Uh-huh. He actually <laughs> sent Moraine to the Aes Sedai to get healed, because he said, only a sister can help you. Yeah. He is he is repairable, right? He would be the arc for the White Cloaks being turned to good, but... But Valda fucked it up. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so Valda did what Valda was supposed to do, um, and what Valda presumably would have wanted to happen... Because I, I mean, I'm kind of you know, Volder is the one to, that really to prevent hates... an, uh, a a peace accord between uh, the White Cloaks and the Aes Sedai. Yeah, Volder achieved that. You get the feeling that those two were clashing often. Yeah, I don't. I don't feel that Jeff Bornhold is a bad guy. He's a guy who made a mistake, but ultimately, it was Volder's decisions that led him to that. I love that we all just call him Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> El Jefe. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah, um, Volta is misogyny. Um, and so Jeff is uh, toxic masculinity. Or, or, sorry, is a man who is infected with toxic masculinity. Led astray by his misogyny. Mm hmm <laughs> Because he listens to his peers and the people around him. And, and like I said, he was a very sympathetic character up until he wasn't. He was exposed to a to to a positive version of masculinity in the form of Perrin, and was like, "Oh, this is interesting," and then and then the incel Volda the incel fucks him. So, are we assuming that Volda is the one who um, commanded Avienda to be put in the cage, and not Bornhold? Uh, Bornhold wasn't there. 
the the younger Bornhold was there, but Valda outranks the younger Bornhold. So it was so okay. So it, it, Valda would I believe was the the highest in command at that in that scene at that place. Okay, I wasn't clear on that. So yeah, so another point against Valda. Moving on to our our last white cloak, uh, Dane Bornhold, who again seemed like a sympathetic character as as far as witch hunters go, but seems to be getting set up to to take on an antagonistic role, but not necessarily a villain. But an opponent. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think you can be an enemy without being a villain. Yeah. Yeah, so there think- you go. And and David, I know you have feelings about this. <laughs> I want him to be a redeemable character so bad. Cause it just seems like that's what they were setting up with the whole giving of water and just being nice and caring in general in the, the beginning of the season and then turns around and he becomes the supposed I'm going to be the um, revenge vendetta character and I don't want that for him. So it's it'll yeah, be interesting same. to see where that actually goes. Like I said, the difference between being a villain and an enemy. He's this the mm-hmm. Valda has created enemies out of people that should not have been. Well, and and the vendetta can make for an interesting story too, because you can you can go a couple ways with the vendetta. In that one, you can just be straight up get it done or die, but then you can also be the character that realizes that the vendetta has ruined your life and turn that around at the last moment and have that revelation. So it may go that direction as well. You can go the way of the leaf. Oh, that would be interesting. Watching watching a white cloak turn to the way of the leaf. Right. I would love to see a white cloak amongst the, the Tuatha'an. Well, we don't know the history of everyone in the Tuatha'an. Yeah, was at least that's one true. woman who yeah. was... Uh, was an assassin for something, yeah. That would, that would be very interesting to see. I, I, mm-hmm. I'm loving where these thoughts are going. Um, and it occurs to me we have one more villain to to address... And that's an, another return from last season, which is Leandrin, which last season we didn't really technically know she was a villain. Oh, she was totally a villain last time. <laughs> <laughs> she was just a bitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that, that's not a villain. That's, that's just... I, like, like I said, you can have an enemy who is not necessarily a villain. <laughs> um, but yeah, like she got, con- she got turned from... Um, Evil pretending working on, on on working for the good guys up until her inevitable betrayal to turning into no she's she's actively evil but in the process of doing that she gets turned from being unsympathetic cop into being sympathetic and still evil and still a cop and therefore way more complicated. Yeah, that's the, I I loved the way they they handled Leandrin's character arc because the more you learn about her. The more sympathetic she becomes, this incredibly traumatized individual, but she does more and more terrible things. It's just awesome how they managed to construct that. So last season, I thought she was, she was in the the mustache twirling villain type, right? She she hated men. She did terrible things. She broke the rules, even though she didn't have to. And like, she's she's just a villain, a bit two dimensional for me now. She's my she's my favorite villain, I think. Um, see further long rants about her bro- that always come down to a cab. 
You know, because I can have sympathy, I think, for the Dark Friends. Like, I have a lot of sympathy for, for Ishmael, right? Um, but, and, and Leandrin kind of falls into the camp of villain, but sympathetic, which is great. But she's also turning a little chaotic, too. By un untying the girls and waking them up. Yeah. To just see what she happens did that, with the She Chan. did that directly as a fuck you to yeah. Sirach. That yeah. wasn't about her job. That was about, you know what? Fuck you. Because <laughs> she has <laughs> to make your day harder than it has to be. <laughs> she did has you just, oh, I, I'm sorry. Did you just say Surak? Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm loving that. that that's like, <laughs> if Surath and Turok were dating, they would absolutely be Surak. Who's <laughs> also the father of Vulcan logic, which makes it even more funny. <laughs> but like yeah that ties into like she is a person in her own right with her own motivations and her own goals and one of her goals is looking after Aes Sedai women her sisters are still her sisters even if she's working for the other team yeah exactly you know because they could come over to the right side too with a bit of with a bit of with a bit of work they could see the error of their ways and join her Makes it interesting how the dark side's going to use her because if she can't really be her her reason for joining the dark side is now gone. So yeah, yeah. Is she going to try and is she going to try and find a way out, or is she going to double down on it and go the way of Pad and Fane? But now also all her sisters know that she is a dark friend, mm -hmm. so that means she can't go back to the tower. Do her sisters know she's a dark friend? And are they going to believe her? Are they going to believe them, or are they going to believe... Like, basically, the Reds believe Leandrin's story. War in the Tower. But at the same time, once uh, once Nynaeve and, and Egwene and, and Elaine get back to the Tower, then it's... Her secret's going to be out. Does the Aes Sedai have truth magic? They have the Oath. Oath Rod. Right. Okay. Yeah. Legit. Okay. So they, they do have a way to compel truth. Okay. So yeah, in that case, she's fucked. Unless she has magic that can overcome that. I think she just doesn't go back. I think she just runs at this point. She should be insane not to. She can't talk her way out of this. Yeah. Which then uh, makes for interesting story of who does she go to when she needs help? And I, I can see that being Moraine in the future. That when Leandrin has something that she needs help with. I could see that because part of Leandrin's hatred of Moraine is based in respect. She knows Moraine is as good as she says. And, and the two of them have this relationship where they kind of bounce off one another, but they also kind of use and help each other in certain ways also. Man, that would be a kick in the teeth, though. She would not enjoy that. <laughs> that. That would be eating a big old plate of crow. But yeah, like, where would she run to? Where can she hide? She probably has friends among the other reds. Um, one of the, I mean, one of the things that came up in season one was how much influence she was gaining over the rest of the sisters. So yeah. she, there's pro there might be women that she still trusts in the tower who would come back and tell her what's going on. You know, you have been declared persona non grata and, and banished. Well, there's very few Aes Sedai that have actually been out in the world, too. Yeah. So she probably could hide from them fairly easily because not a lot of them have knowledge about 
the general world. And I, I guess it's the Reds that would be sent after her because they're the cops. Mm-hmm. Um, and are they going to want to? Yeah, are they going to track down one of their own? Are they going to, fl- or are they going to stick with the thin red line? It is their mandate to 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 prevent the misuse of power, both inside and outside the towers. So it is their job, whether or not they're willing to do their job, given Le- given Leandrin's influence. Leandrin's a cop. They're cops. What do cops do when cops break the law? They get they promote them, so she should get promoted to be the head of the red. Of the, of yeah, the red but Archer. they do th- they do that because there's no repercussions for not doing that. So Swan is still in the position to reduce the influence of the Reds if they do not um, bring Leandrin in for discipline. Time for a palace coup. You know, are the Reds in a position to say, "Look, clearly, Swan has been corrupted." you know, by Moraine, who is corrupt, and all of this bullshit, and so now it's time that we need a strong leader. We need a strong red leader. That's terrifying. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I mean, is it, is it a, can you see it as a possible uh, plot arc? Could I? Uh, Siobhan and David. So, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> not, not you, because you know. Well, actually, you know what? Can you see it as a possible plot arc? They're setting up so on. The reds for a fall. would be in favor. The blues and the browns would be against. I don't know enough about the other Aja to say whether or not they would support Leandrin. Because yeah, like this, this is the thing. Like if Leandrin is never there, doesn't go back to have. If she's able to avoid having to be tested on the oath rod, right? If she can keep away from an actual test, then it is her word against Moraine's. And Moraine has enemies. But not coming back to the tower in itself might be seen as an admission of guilt. Well, she goes back to the tower and she's like, I, how dare you suggest that I am a traitor? Like, Moraine's the traitor, well, clearly. As, and Moraine isn't coming back to the tower because she's busy doing things out in the world. As of right now, they're all in form. And she's fighting with the, the Aes Sedai, presumably. So, you know, that may all get forgotten for quite a while. As of the end of the season, Leandrin's still in the tower, isn't she? She took the the girls to Falm and yeah. then returned to the tower. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's yeah. right. I. Yeah. No. And and uh, no, no. no because... Actually, she was in Kyrian. She was in Kyrian to uh, with be with Swan. Yep. But she did okay. not follow them. I was, to... I was thinking Kyrian, not yeah. Falm. Yeah. So they're all. That, in that was my right my head mistake. So yeah, she she's in Kyrian, but she's there with a large contingent of the tower and is presumably going back to the tower with them. So so Swan is injured by Lanfear, so who knows what stories are going to be told I'm to Swan. More concerned about her emotional injury. And it, which yeah, they're it seems like they're going to throw Moraine under the bus there because Moraine's the one who disappeared in the whole situation. With the with the dragon reborn, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So she's going to get thrown under the bus, and Swan can't say boo to 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 so, defend her without implicating herself. And also, does Swan want to? Because Swan was kind of like, "You need to kill the dragon." No, she said, "You need to harness the dragon." She didn't want to kill him; she wanted to cage him. Like, yeah, like you know, like you, and and in fact, like I'm going to cage him, and then she gets like taken out. So. 
like she may be in a position of being of having joined the anti-Moraine faction. You know, like her hurt ex-lover. But I I really think that this is uh, setting up Swan to get into a fall situation because she's going to be caught on two sides with no ability to defend her side and it's going to make her look really really weak and wasn't there a prophecy that Moraine is going to get fucked over by uh by the chip by the seat yeah min min said, said the, that the, the seat the, would be her downfall the emerald seat will be your downfall so that could we could be setting up for that prophecy to come about in season three so I'm trying to I'm trying to th think back to where everybody was situated at the end of the last episode and Swan the only people who are in Kyrian with Swan who know that um Leandrin is a dark friend is possibly Varen possibly Varen yeah who at least suspects I think maybe doesn't necessarily know the people who know are um Egwene and Nynaeve um and Moraine. Moraine and and Elaine. So, Elaine. So it, it really depends on who gets to Swan first. So and of the Aes Sedai, like that's more, like Egwene and Nynaeve aren't fully Aes Sedai, right? So their so their word is going to be suspect. So you've only got Moraine and Elaine, and Moraine is already in trouble. And Elaine is also not fully Aes Sedai. The, the only thing, the only additional weight she has is she's a royal. And they know her. She's been in the tower for a long time. So. Varen guessing on whether or not she is, is based on if she believes those three also. Because her knowledge of her being a dark yeah. friend comes from those three. And well, she three. knows somebody has been influencing... The woman who is the who is uh, basically the head of the novices. Uh, Shirium. She knows that she has been compelled to let the novices leave the tower when they're not supposed to. So um, I don't know that she necessarily knows that knows knows that Leandrin is the person responsible, but suspects her. I mean, she did say straight out, you know, there are dark friends in the tower or Black mm -hmm. Aja. So. Clearly, she suspects that much, as, at least. Yeah. But I think there's enough um, ambiguity that it could lead to Leander and being able to go back to the tower immediately, as opposed to being called out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But probably she will she will vanish. Like, the, the, after Egwene and Nainiv and uh, Elaine return, I imagine they'll go, okay, where is Leandrin? No one can find her. <laughs> She's got time to go back to the tower, establish an alibi, and get the fuck out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a question. So how is this plot arc, is this from the book or substantially different from the book? Um, no, this is this is fairly in line with the book. Okay. More so or you less have a pretty good book, idea yeah. of what's going to happen next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <sighs> season three, season three, season three. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of the things that I find interesting is knowing, like, when you know what's going on and when you're as much in the dark or close to it as we are, you know, like, it, it the, and I'm guessing that the, like, the further we go in the series, the more divergences from the book they're going to be, because uh, we're I... looking at kind of branching story paths. 
I kind of get the feeling like the further we get in the series, the more in line it's going to okay. be. That's what I see, because okay. they've got to come um, to a, a clean end, so you've got to converge the yeah. stories at some right. point. Yeah, I feel I feel like it's going to come together more cleanly in the series than it did in the books. In the oh, books, okay. it was it was quite chaotic by the end. That's harder to put on a screen. Mm-hmm. They're going to do a better job of turning it into a series than, let's say, the uh, than than um, Game of Thrones did. Plus, they'll get past all of the stuff where they're trying to, you know, build these characters quickly as opposed to over a long period of time, and that's. That's, I think, where you're getting a lot of the divergence, especially with the main characters. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, legit. Okay. Um, and and in my opinion, the books, to me, the first three books are like the prologue. Mm-hmm. Like, like the story doesn't really like they're they're just the world building. The here's here's the characters and in, in the world and and things going on. Right. It, it's it's the fourth book where things really take off and you really get into meaty meaty story okay and and they're bringing some of that meaty story in earlier and they're they're bringing some of that character development uh, in earlier gotcha. and and yeah i feel like once we get kind of past all this character developmenty kind of stuff and can get really into the the meat of the story which is mm-hmm. going to happen next season because they're saying next season is going to be mostly book four okay so, so this season yeah. was, was was a lot of book two and three together um there's not a ton of book three in there. Um, there is a little bit, but to, I, I'll be completely honest with you. Not a whole ton happens in book three that I re- that's memorable. Um, it, it's it's a lot of traveling and character develop, development. So okay, so that which is they're able to put push into the plot. Yeah, yeah, a lot of, of that was pushed like, into the plot this season. Yeah, gotcha. So, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, there is one big spectacular plot point show piece that that's the end of the book you know there's always a big mm-hmm. plot point yeah. showpiece at the end of the book that has not been addressed and and i'm guessing will happen after next season because it doesn't have to take place in the timeline where it does so so yeah it it's there's that's that's kind coming. of why we're we're not able to get up through book three because you know because there's this big chunk the the climax of book three is going to happen sometime you yeah. don't know when yeah. So potentially and we could get to like season five and then you'll be finally, yeah, now you can read book three. You read book six to seven ages ago, but book three. Um, and, and right now, like we can't have you read book one because mm-hmm. a major plot of next season is actually pulled from book one. Right. So yeah, there there's, I'm hoping after next season, we can get you guys at least through book two. Right. That would be cool. We'll just have to uh, tie Siobhan's hands together after she's done reading so that uh, she yeah, doesn't read much. the next book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's a, I'm so concerned about y'all starting into the books because I know it's going to be hard to stop and wait when you don't have to. Mm-hmm. And with that, I think we can put a pin in this episode. So we're going to say thank you as always to Michael and Jen out at the Secret Watch Party Island headquarters. Thank you, Michael and Jen. Thank you, thank thank you Michael and Jen. You can find us online, whatwatchparty.com. You can find links to all of our social media as well as links to where you can find us on all of the major podcast purveyors and links to our sister podcasts, Watch Party, Lord of the Rings, Watch Party of Ice and Fire, and Watch Party Gaming. And now, final question for the panel. You're selling your soul to the dark side. What are you getting in return? Unfortunately, Kissinger's already taken. (laughs)
<laughs> rest of the seasons of wheel of time right now oh i like that one. Oh, oh you got yeah okay i'm i'm with you i want the power of head explodey <laughs> i take my house renovations being done right now three years too much for you <laughs> yep um i think we all know what i'm selling my soul for could it possibly be tacos? tacos? <laughs> you know me so well. Didn't see that one coming. <laughs>